Welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Worst, a podcast where we normally analyse trilogies and decide which film doesn't quite make the cut. This week we've got something special for you. We're looking at our favourite films from 2020. Now, this is actually getting recorded by Editor Griner in the future because we lost the beginning of our recording, but joining me today is Luke and Conan, and my first film that I wanted to recommend is The Platform, which is a Spanish horror film that came out on Netflix at the beginning of the year. I won't make a ton of points about it. It's a horror film in the style of Cube and a few other movies like that that I really enjoyed when I was younger, which made this movie appeal to me quite a bit. Uh, It's a movie that definitely tries to have a social commentary. Unfortunately, it's a bit more of a hammer than a scalpel when it comes to that. So it's kind of hitting you over the head with its point rather than than trying to make a subtle, subtle observation. But it is a movie I think I recommend and I think I enjoyed. We'll pick up the recording now with the other guys. Conan's about to recommend his film, and he's about to make a segue that would have made sense if we had the original recording. Uh, So sticking with Strictly 2020, then, my pick for the first recommended is going to be Possessor. Now, that was um, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg, obviously the great body horror slash just one of the great uh, sort of 80s filmmakers. Uh, So it's, yeah, a mixture of sort of sci-fi and horror. Basically, it's about this assassin who works for a shadowy organisation who kills her targets by literally possessing them, so just taking control of their bodies, committing the assassination, and then uh, exiting, and so leads them to sort of take the blame. Um, and it's really, it's a very weird film. It's very, it feels pretty art housey. It's um, just a lot of weird, long atmospheric shots, a lot of moments of very visceral violence. Um, but I really enjoyed it because I saw it sort of later in the year when it showed here, at a small cinema screening, it was like the only one they were doing in Sydney. But again, it was kind of one of the one of the earlier films I saw at the cinema again, and it was just really cool, sort of seeing that and in these moments of like horrible violence, seeing everybody sort of flinch and groan and just have a a physical reaction to it. And it was one of those things where I really it was really enhanced by seeing it with a friend and seeing it in a cinema, knowing that. You know, me and the 30 other people in the room were all thinking the same thing. We were all feeling the same sort of way. And it was, just, it was a really cool experience. It's a very interesting film. It does have a – it's got some interesting interesting things to say. Um, kind of reminiscent of Kill List, if either of you guys saw it, uh, the Ben Wheatley film. But just really cool sort of – yeah, it's just one of those bizarre, weird sci-fi, weird horror. Uh, Christopher Rabbit, who's phenomenal. I forget the lead's name, but she's really good as well. She's in Mandy. And um, like a role by Sean Bean, which I'm always down for. Does he survive? He does. No spoilers. 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 (laughs) That's a great twist of the film. So I I hadn't heard of this movie before. Um, Is it one of those horror movies in the the vein of like Hostel where it's very incredibly ultra-violent? No. So I went into it expecting that because all the reviews I had read about it said that saying, you know, this is like the next stage of shocking graphic horror. So I was expecting two hours of just slow body torture. But it's very, it's really well done. It's very sporadic. There's only, there's a handful of moments and they are pretty full on. But they are sort of, they're fewer and further between than you would expect. And it's not, um, it's not, I can't think of the word, but it doesn't relish in it. It's not just kind of like, look what we can do. Let's just have someone be disemboweled because it's funny. The moments yeah. that do have it are shocking, but they're essential to character. They're essential to the sort of thematic development, and they make you feel uncomfortable in all the right ways. No, well, I've I hadn't heard of it either, but that does sound like a cool experience for the to get back into the cinema. Just thirty people all squirming, being uncomfortable in a room, exactly or strangely intimate afterwards. Exactly what I want. So no, yeah, I haven't heard of it, but I'll have to look into it. <laughs> great if you get a chance definitely watch it okay luke got a got a recommendation for us so um i guess sticking with the the tune of art house and everything like that uh there's a little movie i watched at the start of this year uh called sonic the hedgehog um <laughs> so, i knew it was coming i saw it a mile away <laughs> so this movie um it really it sort of it has a weird special place in my heart it's a movie that it was basically, I feel like it was the last movie a lot of people watched, including America and everything like that, before COVID happened. This hit like right in the sweet spot of early March. So it was, I took both my kids, it was just me and my two kids. We went to the cinema, watched it. 
they didn't really have much exposure to Sonic before that. Like Nolan, had, my son, had played a few games like with Sonic in it, but this was really his introduction to who Sonic was and that world and everything like that. Honestly, it's a guilt. I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure. I think it's a really good movie. I really enjoyed Sonic. I think Jim Carrey is amazing in this. Like I think he every scene he is in, he's he's funny. He's great as that character. He's uh, you know zany and everything like that. Uh, it's got James Marsden in it, um, who I love, and he plays Donut Lord great in this one. Who and I think James Sonic podcast favorite exactly um, podcast favorite James Marsden. Uh, and yeah, I think Sonic's done really well. Like, you know, thank God he doesn't look like what he did originally before the <laughs> fan out fan outcry online. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it or taken my kids to see it since it probably would have been rated R uh, with that Sonic <laughs> old book. But they they loved it. They still quote it to this day. Once it came out, like you know, on DVD and everything, they watch it so many times. So I know every line from that movie now, and it sort of has ruined the movie for me. But they love it so much. Nolan ended up loving the Sonic character. He runs around the house thinking he's Sonic, says he's got to go fast. It's it's <laughs> really introduced them to Sonic, and they ended up playing like the old classic games, you know, that were remastered on the newer consoles, and fall in love with Sonic how I did when I was a kid. So it was a very cool experience. And shortly after that, COVID happened, and the world went into lockdown. So it was. It has a weird place in my heart, but I really, really enjoyed it, and I remember that experience well. And I highly is, recommend it. Is it a very quotable film? Are there a lot of witty one-liners in it? There, I wouldn't say they're witty one-liners, but there are a lot of one-liners, especially by Jim Carrey, uh, Jim Carrey's character. There's, there's, there, there's a few golden nuggets in there. There's a few lines in there that I laugh out loud at. And honestly, I know it's not uh, much of a standard to hold it up against, but probably the best video game movie there is like it really it honestly is a, an enjoyable movie so yeah my I've, I've heard nothing but good things about it i would i, I do want to see it i don't know why i haven't seen it yet just hasn't hasn't crossed my radar again, but... yet. Oh, okay no conan you haven't so you haven't seen it either yeah no no i haven't but um i'm the same i actually heard i was expecting it to be like any other video game film and just be abysmal but yeah, yeah. And actually, its critical reception was good. I think it did pretty well at the box office, and it has just been consistently touted as a, a pretty solid film. And like you say, the best video game film ever made. Yeah, which, yeah um, not a, not a high standard, but still impressive. No. That oh, still it impressive beats Assassin's Creed with Michael Fassbender. But <laughs> um, but it did very well at the box office. It was it's it's yeah. like I don't know the actual statistics, but I remember seeing week after week it like performing very well. And obviously, there hasn't been much to compare it to this year because box office has sort of died in America, but it, it did very well and surprisingly well. And yeah, and number two is underway and I'm looking forward to it, especially with that post-credit twist. Oh, stop spoiling I'm things. Well, I'm just, just saying. Stick around after the credits. Stick around after the credits. Is Sonic, Sonic going to join the MCU? Is that what's going to happen? Exactly. <laughs> exactly <laughs> the SCU. No, I can't I can't wait to get more James Marsden in my life. So yeah, I will, I will have to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. oh. So my second recommendation is The Old Guard. So this is another Netflix, Netflix special that came out this year. Um, stars Shelley's there on who, I don't know, ever since Mad Max, like I'm real keen. She's just been a real badass. I think she's pretty awesome. And um, I don't know, it's not the, the greatest movie ever made, but it, it is a lot of fun. I think it has a really interesting idea, which I know, I believe it got from a... Um, a graphic novel originally, but just the idea of these warriors that who who can resurrect over and over again, they're kind of immortal, but they never know when the last time they, they're going to die. So they may die, they do die at some point, and that is the time that they die. And I think that is an interesting wrinkle because we've seen immortal characters before and it's kind of kind of gets really boring when you can't can't defeat someone. Um, but I don't know, there's something scary about, oh, this might be the time that I die. Um, mm. have you got, either of you guys seen this? No, I um, I remember when it came out. I was kind of curious too, because similar deal. I love Charlie's Theron ever since um Atomic Blonde, and Mad Max. She's just she's been like that female action hero, which is awesome. Mm. Um, but my wife is also a big action fan, and she watched it with her mum like the day it was released. And yeah. so I've I've never had a reason to sort of sit down and watch it myself, unfortunately. Um, 
but I'm keen to because you're right. I like the idea of like immortal warriors, and that that is kind of cool. Like that, I don't know that question of like, can you keep doing this knowing that it might be your last? But if that's undone by knowing that you'll probably live, it's yeah. I don't know. I think it sounds really cool. I did hear about it when it came out. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But basically the same as you guys, I love Charlie's they're on um since Mad Max. Like that's a great movie. Um yeah, but it does sound really cool and even hearing you guys talk like about the plot and everything like that, that sounds like a really cool story and I wanna watch it. I'm yeah. Watch it. I, I will say I think it squanders that idea a little bit, like it doesn't quite fulfill what it could it doesn't explore everything it could with the with the idea of the the way they've written the immortality, but um, it definitely sets itself up for a sequel. I think they could probably do a lot more with that, um, and I think it's done pretty well. So hopefully, it gets some good funding. And yeah, I think it could be a really interesting series of movies, especially if Shelley's there on sticks around. Yeah, it is always hard with a high concept like that to to execute it well and sort of fully flesh that out. Yeah, yeah, I think I think sequels of this type of movie can do very well, um, like. Look at the classic sci-fi's like Aliens and Terminator Two. These movies there, where they lay down the groundwork in the first movie, and the second one follows it up really well. Yeah, um, it's got a lot more freedom. They can just get a bit wild with it. So hopefully, I really—that's what I really hope to see out of this because this movie is, is fine. It's pretty good, but I think it squanders that idea a little bit. And hopefully, they can do something really cool with it in the next one. Yeah, sounds good. I'm interested. Watch it. What do you got for us, Conan? Oh, it's me. <laughs> All right, our second pick of the year is going to go to another horror supernatural film, The Invisible Man. Now, did you guys see The Invisible Man? No, I did. Oh, okay. Did. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, essentially, so remake of you know the the classic H.G. Uh, Wells story. It's been made into dozens of films, including the classic I think 20s or 30s one. Um, so it's a reimagining. It was originally meant to be part of the the what is it? The Universal Dark, the Dark Universe with uh, Dark, the mummy. yeah Tom yeah Tom Cruise's failed Mummy reboot. But then they sort of took a note from the DC playbook and said, let's just start doing standalone things. And it was the best thing they could have done because basically it's a reimagining where Elizabeth Moss is the victim of an abusive relationship. She manages to escape, and her her ex husband or boyfriend, whoever. Uh, apparently dies, but she's convinced that he's still out there to get her. And coincidentally, I hope this isn't a spoiler, he is the invisible man. But basically, it's just this, it's a phenomenally well-made film. Um, Similarly, I saw this at the beginning of the year, so cinemas hadn't shut down yet, and it was just nice to do. I saw it with a good friend, and it was a really cool experience. We just, we both enjoyed it. But um, it's just, it, it uses phenomenally well, like, absent space, so that because you're always waiting to see where this invisible man is. So every scene, every frame, there is always objects and pieces of dead air that you can't help but watch. And without doing anything, because uh, it's directed by Lee Wanell, an Australian, um, one of the two guys who created Saw, he just has a really good awareness of how to set that up and sort of how to con- make you consciously aware that there's going to be a threat somewhere and just building on that atmosphere and really making you look for little clues that often never come, but you're also never sure if they didn't come or if you just missed it. And it's just got this, yeah, it's always really unsettling. Um, has some phenomenal scenes in it, really good performances. Elizabeth Moss is great and did really well at the box office, which is fascinating. So it was made on like a 7 million budget, ended up making 140 million, which really like encouraged me for to understand like the future of horror at the cinema. That's like a, it's over like a thousand percent profit. That's great. So I'm, like, good. so I'm like, yeah, if this small sort of film, and again, it it gives me faith in Lee Wan L getting more work because he's really he's really good, and he hasn't had nearly as much success as his counterpart James Wan, but he's he's so good, and so I'm like, cool, if, you know, he's now he's like a he's a cash cow for for Hollywood, so hopefully he'll just keep making stuff. Now, yeah, Luke, what so, do you think? Yeah, I um I missed it when it like first came out in theaters, and then when it was made available on like VOD early due to COVID. I know they, you know, they launched it way earlier than they usually would uh, digitally and everything. And my wife and I sat down and watched it because I really was interested in watching it at the cinema. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss uh, from Mad Men. Like, I love that show. So she's a big part in that. And watching it, it's it's really good. I really enjoyed it. It's very much like Gaslight the movie. It's... Mm. 
very um it's it you know it grinds your gears because just people don't believe her because they think she's crazy and she's like he's alive this guy who everyone thinks is dead he's alive he's stalking me he's in my kitchen behind me you know it's it it truly is terrifying and i i love the modern twists that they do and i won't spoil anything but i love the modern twist that they put on the invisible man like concept uh i think it's done very well i like how much they lean into the fact that like you know she's losing her mind because she doesn't know if she's actually crazy or if what she is is reality and no one's believing her um mm-hmm. even to the point like it's sort of obvious, but early on you are sort of in the same thing. Like, is she imagining it? Is this some sort of thing? Is she, does she have PTSD from this guy who supposedly died? Uh, so you're not sure either. And when you do know that she's spoilers, she's telling the truth in a way it's like, yeah, it's horrible being her, like being in her shoes and having no one believe her. And you're like, Oh my God, he's right behind you, you idiot. Like it, it was really enjoyable. And, it gave me anxiety and that same thing that you were talking about, about the dead space and everything in each scene. And I think it's done very well. It's claustrophobic in a way too, though. Like it's a lot of the scary scenes are like in a house, which yeah. is like my favorite type of horror. You know, you just, you, you know, made me scared to walk in the kitchen that night to grab a snack. I didn't want to, cause I was like, the invisible <laughs> man could be down there. <laughs> I don't want to mess yeah. with him. Um, no, I really enjoyed it and yeah, highly recommended. Yeah, and it's a great subversion on the whole. Your house—it's like with any haunted house. Your house is safe, and so she takes she takes refuge. But it just plays on that idea of at literally everywhere she goes, she could be in danger, and you're never sure when it's going to hit. And it just builds tension so efficiently at it. And the ending's good. I like the ending. Mm. I think I think I'm realizing I haven't watched enough horror this year, but I'm keen to, I'm keen to check that out. <laughs> but but tell me, does it does it hold a candle to the classic Kevin Bacon film Hollow Moon? <laughs> Nothing holds a candle to Kevin Bacon's Hollow Man. That okay. is again. That's Hollow Man is in the same league as Cube for me. I watched that as a kid. For some, I shouldn't have watched it. As same, a kid. I don't know same. Did. But <laughs> it's so bad. But I just, there's something I love about it. Yeah. Yes. Relate to that, Kevin Bacon. All right, Luke. So, what's your next recommendation? So my second one is kind of in a similar vein to my first pick, but on the opposite end of COVID. This was my first movie-going experience after the pandemic had sweeped the worlds, and I think most a lot of people's getting back to the cinema, which is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. I believe so, it's pronounced Tenet. Oh, okay. Whoops. Uh, so I am I'm a big Christopher Nolan fanboy. I I love his films. Inception is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I'm a big fan of Prestige and. Uh, there, there are people out there who are wrong, but Interstellar is a great movie as well. Uh, <laughs> I love everything. You're not going to get any support here for that, I'm afraid. <laughs> I love everything about his movies. I love his style. It's He's definitely got a thing where you're sitting down and you're like, I'm watching a Christopher Nolan film at the cinema. He is right. It does deserve to be watched at the cinema. It was great to get back and watch that and feel a sense of normalcy again. Um, the movie itself... Don't know if I can highly recommend it, but I enjoyed it. Uh, it isn't his best work by a long shot, but it was enjoyable watching it in the cinema. I came out very much like high on it. I have wavered a bit as time has gone on and I've thought back on it. But saying that, I am keen now that it's coming out on Blu-ray and everything, I am keen to watch it for a second time because I only watched it the one time. I'm keen to watch it a second time and see where my thoughts rest on it after that what about you guys can i spoil something for you mm-hmm. i saw it a second time it doesn't get better oh, it doesn't. <laughs> oh no i don't know man um robert pattinson's awesome i love his character in this and he's so he's so good in this i wish he was in it more grana what were your thoughts um yeah so i like i have similar feelings like it was the first movie i saw at the cinema i think it might have been the only movie i saw at the cinema this year which is wow. pretty uncommon for me um, and I had a good, definitely had a good time watching it. I think, like, I think Nolan's strength really is his set, his set pieces, these, these scenarios that he sets up and you, you kind of just watch the dominoes fall and it just all seems to happen. So satis- like satisfyingly, I don't know if that's a word, but it, it's very <laughs> enjoyable to watch these, 
these plans laid out and then them go like go through with them. And like I don't know, there's not many people who can do a heist like him. I don't think. Like I think that's where where he's really really strong. Mm. But I think that I agree that movie has a lot of problems. I think the third act is kind of a mess, which I think is almost now Nolan's signature. Like he's he has that problem quite a bit. Um, and mm. yeah, I don't know that I'm that excited to watch it again. But it definitely had a lot of really cool scenes, and it, it's a cool concept. But I do think they squander it a little bit too. Bonus. So yeah, Luke, I. I'll I'll just say like I agree with that, and I definitely think the the third act it does start to fall apart. Um, I just there was there was a part in that movie, and it's basically it's the intro to the whole thing in the theater uh, with everyone wearing the gas masks and doing everything where you first sort of introduced and sitting there I was like yes I'm like this is awesome this is exactly what I want I'm so ready for this. It didn't turn out exactly what I thought, but I think the opening scene's great. I like the scene with when Robert Pattinson first gets introduced. I like everything at the airport, uh, and yeah, the set pieces are amazing. And I think just aesthetically, you can't top a lot of those scenes that Christopher Nolan pulls off. They look so good, and they're they're, they're very satisfying to watch. Since since we've all seen this movie, are we happy to do a little bit a little bit of spoiling? Yes. Spoiler think, alert, people. So turn, turn, off, turn off now for 10 minutes if, you, if you're if you really sensitive to spoilers about this movie, but I think I a think lot of people have seen, seen it. by now, yeah. I just, that opening scene is really cool. Like, I totally agree with you. But for a movie that's so much about things happening in cycles, they never revisit that. Like, there's lots of questions about that opening scene that don't make any sense, which is cool when you start watching a movie. It's like, I've got so many questions. What is going on? And then they never go back to it. And I just feel yeah. like that was a wasted... Like the word tenant, is it a, is it the word palindrome? Is that the word where yeah. it's the same way backwards yeah. as it is forwards? Like that's yeah. the whole theme of the film and then they don't do that? Yeah, yeah. you're, you're no. right. You're, you're so correct, yeah. Because you're right, that is the best part of the film and that's Nolan. Nolan's really good at starting films. He knows, like, obviously the Dark Knight heist is, like, is by now cemented in history and mm. film history and film culture and everything. He's got a real good knack for that. But you're right. It's like that would have been a great way to end it with his third act. It would have been a great way to return to what he already would have known was good, and everyone would have been expecting. Because I was holding out for it. Like, okay, they're going to go back there, and it's going to be this nice, complete thing. And yeah, it just doesn't, and it's it feels strange. Same. So that is, I think, the whole like movie. I was expecting that to get back to that point, and I was like, that's how it's going to end, and it's going to be this circle and come back around. And oh, he was actually one of the people there and saw it. I was. I thought it was going to come around to that, but it didn't. And yeah, yeah. I was pretty disappointed by that. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like this is this film was like the it's the worst of it's the worst of Nolan's sort of high concept stuff. So it feels like a first draft of Inception. And Inception, ironically, I feel like he does everything he's trying to do in this a lot better. He uses the mm. concept pretty well. Yep. And it does. It always even though Inception also has plot holes. Inception feels very like he believes in it so much that the audience just looks past those and goes, "Yeah, it's fine." It's I know, no one knows the world exists, so I know the world exists. Whereas in this one, there feels just like a lot more things that feel like first ideas. He's like, "Yeah, that could be cool," but yeah, it never gets fleshed out. It never fully links to anything. It really feels a lot more just like a gimmick that there's not a film there to support. But he made a very long film for. <laughs> And it's especially egregious in the final act. Like, you've got this big battle, and I feel like you're right. He had this idea, oh, it would be cool if we could see the building being destroyed from both angles, right? Yeah, that and one thing. But that whole thing doesn't – it just doesn't make any sense anyway. Like, it just no. – it's just kind of like a visual spectacle. But it doesn't – I don't know. I Maybe I just can't – I'm not smart enough to get my head around it. But the whole idea of unblowing up the building from one side or whatever doesn't seem to help them out in any way, shape, or form. No, I definitely left with questions, like more questions than I would in a normal Nolan film. A lot of people say it's simple to understand. I'm sure if I watch it again, maybe not. Conan's shaking no. his head. Maybe no, not. It's... But it, I definitely left with a lot of questions. And there's a bunch of scenes where I'm just like, I don't understand why that happened like that or why that person would have done that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not sure. No, I mean, I'm mean, interested in watching it again. They never get answered, right? So looking <laughs> back again at, at Inception and Interstellar, both of those, I think you come out of those and you go, and it's normal for the person to be like, I don't fully get what went on. And some people are always like, oh, no, it's so easy once you, you just got to do this. And it's like, no, these people are wankers. All right. The film's convoluted and Nolan comes. And so you are meant to see it a second time. But with Inception, you do appreciate more. With Interstellar, 
You appreciate less because it's yeah. all about love. <laughs> no, it just continues. I was, was going to say, like Interstellar, it does explain it. It is, it's, it's love. Right, but that's, but that's what I mean. There's more sort of. It is. You can get the explanation more. Whereas in the internet, I saw it the second time, and it's like nothing gets explained. None of the questions that are there are answered, and nothing is. You realize that there's actually nothing behind all the flash. There's nothing underlying this there's no sort of big deeper themes to it whereas in the other films there is something and even things like um what's her face's character um elizabeth debecky that whole sort of arc and all of the the human drama feels very tacked on as if no one knew that he needed a human perspective like even the last scene where you've got um robert pattinson and washington there sort of having that emotional farewell and they're like does this mean I'm never going to see you? And he's tearing up and Ron Pattinson's like, it's, you know, it's the end of a beautiful friendship for me. It's the beginning for you. That's meant to be this incredibly poignant moment that anchors the two characters, but none of it's earned. You've had some great back and forth and banter, mm. but there is not enough groundwork that'd be like, these guys are so close by now. And then, but when they're leaving, it's like, you're meant to feel like they're brothers who have to accept that they're never going to see each other again. I liked their chemistry and I thought they had like, great I like chemistry. That. I like that moment and everything. And I guess just there is a lot of stuff we don't see between them that you just believe that it is earned by that point. But um, we've seen everything they do. Like we've seen their journey. Point, yeah. yeah. Really? No, because Robert Patton Robin Pattinson was recruited by him, by Washington. Yes, but you've seen you've seen everything the protagonist has seen. <laughs> I was so. Oh man, you ruined it! I was about to say. I was about to say. I know Nolan doesn't isn't famous for his great character names, but what do we think about? I'm the protagonist. What do we think about? I think it's. I think it's bad. Um. And speaking of the protagonist, what did we think of the antagonist before we move on? I love Kenneth Branagh. I think he stops. Mm. Um. I I thought he was good. I enjoyed his character. Yeah, he's playing a cliche like the yeah. the rich Russian, you know, yeah. with links to the Soviet. Like it's all very corny. But I think I think this film, I think no one knows from the get go. He's like, I'm making a cliche, corny, empty film, but it's full of style. And so he's literally like, you're going in to see all of the not the the best and the worst parts of Nolan. And I don't think he, I mean, maybe he was under pretense. Maybe he thought he was making a high work of art, but it really does feel like there's an awareness there of like I'm making a film that's almost a joke of my films but I'm going to do all the great things still. I'm going to do all the things you love. I'm going to have a booming, bombastic soundtrack. Hans Zimmer. And it was, and like you said, Luke, it was phenomenal to go back and see that at the cinema after six months of nothing. Like, that was awesome. Like, this is why this experience exists. This is why cinemas cannot die. Yeah. It's just a shame that's not going to hold up. Which is why it's on my list. Like, I wouldn't recommend it as a movie, but if you can go to the cinema and watch it, if you haven't in, been all in 2020. Movie. It's worth watching, and yeah. I'm a Nolan fan, so yeah. Yeah. Grana? All right. Speaking of time travel films, <laughs> my final film is uh, Palm Springs. Spoilers. That's so, <laughs> nah, not really spoilers. If you've, seen the tra- <laughs> if you've seen the trailer, the trailer, I would say with this movie, try and avoid spoilers, try and avoid knowing anything about it if you can. I won't go into anything too much here. Too late now. I'll only go into what's within the trailer, and even that... Maybe you could say it's too much, but um, Palm Springs, 2020 movie, um, starring Andy Samberg, who I I love. I think he's he's been funny since Dick in a Box, so I'll watch him <laughs> in anything. But um, it's a it's 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 a movie that plays with a trope that's been around for a while now. So it's it is the Groundhog Day trope. You know that from the trailer that there's this day that repeats over and over again, and. Um, there's been other movies that have done this well, like Edge of Tomorrow is one of my favourite movies, and it does it really cool. The thing I love about Palm Springs is it's a comedy. It's very, very funny. But I was thinking about the things that this movie brought up for days after I watched it. Like oh, wow. it just really plays with that Groundhog Day trope, but actually makes gives you meaningful things to think about at the end of it. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to do a spoiler cast with you guys if you've seen it because there's just it's so much fun and there's lots of really just really poignant things that come out of like Andy Samberg's mouth. Like, I don't know. I don't know who saw that coming, but I, I mean, I love him, but he's, he's a very goofy guy and he's definitely goofy in this movie too, but it very much plays on, I don't know, just on the ideas of existence and, and what is this life we're living and, and, and going to work every day and doing the same things over and over again. Wow. Have either of you seen it? So, 
Honestly, um, no, I, I had heard of it. I didn't know anything about it or what it was about or anything. Uh, just looking at the synopsis, just basically exactly saying what you just said, seeing that and the reviews, I am actually super keen to watch this and we'll probably watch this tonight after we record this podcast. <laughs> I think my wife would be really enjoy this movie because we actually we actually watched I watched Groundhog Day two weeks ago for the first time ever <laughs> and so I'm in the mood for another another one of that those so I'll, I'm keen to watch this tonight actually so yeah it sounds good it only just started streaming on Amazon recently here right yes yeah so I only watched I watched it like a month ago or something yeah that's when no, it so, came out on Amazon yeah no so I'd had my eyes on it like I'd I'd seen it coming out like the you know beginning of the year and I was keen to see it same deal yeah. I love Andy Samberg um, and all the initial reviews that I read seemed really positive. I was like, I'm always in the mood for like a, a solid romantic comedy, like 500 Days of Summer, one of my all-time yep. favorite films. So I really want to. I, just, I haven't got around to it yet. Um, but it looks really, it looks really cool. And yeah, I just love seeing people like Andy Samberg who have this this persona and this character sort of intertwined with their identity and sort of undoing that, or at least you know, sort of challenging you because of the, what you assume from him. That's always really good. Yeah. I don't like. I don't think he undoes any of his Brooklyn Nine Nine character or his his um, Lonely Island character. Like he's still that same person in this movie. But um, yeah, it's just it's really well written, and it seems to be written with him in mind, obviously. And so I think they just use that really well. And yeah, just some of the things that this movie brings up. I don't know. They're very poignant. And yeah, like uh, no, I don't want to spoil anything. But like Groundhog Day, the whole. The whole conceit of that is kind of silly, like how he solves his problem in the end. He's like, oh, I've become a different person and now I've escaped this yeah. time loop. Whereas this movie is a lot more smart about the time loop in general. Oh, that's as much as I'll say. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, 100% recommend it. Um, don't, I mean, don't watch it with your kids around, Luke, but <laughs> it's a very good movie. <laughs> I won't. I won't be. Yeah. I'm keen for a spoiler cast on it. Yeah. All right, Conan. All right. It's been a long road. Been a lot of films this year that you guys is this your third horror, horror movie <laughs> sort of <laughs> but this Saw is probably... nine <laughs> this is so this would be my probably my favorite year, movie of the year um I don't know, i'll just get into it it's a little film streaming on amazon called the vast of night now have either of you guys seen this no doing yourselves a disservice I fall into the same camp of I haven't heard of this before, of so sell me all on it. eight films that have been done here. Okay, so 1950s, New Mexico, UFOs. That's that's pretty much it. That's the film. Now you've heard it all before. I can hear you saying, "What could be fresh about that?" Everything in the Bastard Night. So it is this tiny little film made on a budget of like seven hundred thousand dollars, directed by this guy Andrew Patterson, who I think he was. Because it's filmed in Texas. So he's like this Texas guy. He's making commercials. And he raises this money himself to make this thing. Filmed with a couple sort of no names. Um, but it is the perfect, like, guerrilla film. It is so small. It is so low budget. But it is so well realized that it blew my mind. So it literally starts with, like, a zoom in of a Twilight Zone TV show playing on TV. And you're essentially saying you are about to watch a Twilight Zone episode. So you know what you're getting in there, and it feels exactly. It feels like Twilight Zone. It feels like X Files. It feels like War of the Worlds. It's kind of like that '50s sci-fi uh, UFO mystery stuff. But I mean, it, it's comparable in a way to like Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs, where a film made so it couldn't shouldn't seem possible that it existed at all. But this film got made, and everybody who is making it feels so. You can tell that they just believe in what they're doing and they are so invested in this. They want it to work and everyone is coming in and we're like, we're making something great here. And you've just got this phenomenal testament to like that old school 50s like science fiction theater, all the things that we love growing up with like Twilight Zone and X-Files. It is like, it's like this 50s rapid fire back and forth. So it feels like it's really cool cat jazz club dialogue, but it is just like, it's like Tarantino. It is like, it just doesn't stop and it is so good it is but then at the same time nothing happens in this film it's literally just conversations of these this radio host played by this guy jake horowitz and his switchboard operator friend sierra mccormack and essentially they're just like they're getting calls from these people who are saying there's something floating above this small town in new mexico and so obviously it's tying it in with the, the 47 roswell incident and there's those stories of 
army guys getting uh, getting taken out by buses to clean up this mysterious site, which was rumored to always be one of a crashed UFO. But it's just these weird characters giving these stories of like how they've seen UFOs before or what they've dealt with. And it is so atmospheric and it is, it's incredibly poignant at times. Some of these stories are heartbreaking. Some of them are really creepy, but it's never like schlocky horror. It never breaks tone. It's never dull. And so these little little feats of filmmaking, like they shouldn't have been able to make a Texas town look like 50s America, but they did. Like on this budget that they have, they shouldn't have been able to do that, but they got it done. And it was just one of those things I loved watching it. I still think about it. I'm like, that film is just, it it realizes entirely what it is. And very rarely do you see a film that is like, this knows exactly what it is. There is no no confusion. There's no sort of like risk to try to be a bit different. It just knows what it is, but it does it so well. And it's sort of it, it's really inspiring to be like these films are still getting made. People are still going to go out and sort of take a chance on stuff like this. This guy Andrew Patterson, he he will have a career from this, I think. And it's like it's cool that as much as I always talk about how I hate technology because it's killing DVDs and DVDs are the way of the future. It's it's great that because of these streaming services like Amazon, there is an online platform that gives films like this a chance. You guys need to see it. Oh, I'm keen for it. Sounds good. No, I'm. Color me interested. On that sounds good. Word. Does it? Does it? Uh, does it feel? Um, does it feel fallouty? Is it that? Is it that time? No. Time and place. Yes, but no. Um, so obviously, many bugs. <laughs> yes, surprisingly, it doesn't feel that um cheesy. That's the thing. It's it feels very real, but in the same way that Tarantino's dialogue feels like a heightened reality. It's like everyone in this universe talks this strange way. Yeah, it's right. the same thing. This is the 50s, but in this weird, slightly surreal world where no one really talks that fast and cool and nothing's quite like this. But in this version of the 50s, it's totally authentic. I'm keen for it. I'm keen. Yeah. Recommended by Conan. Yeah. You heard it here first. Go for it, Luke. What's your final one? All right. So my final one is a movie I watched recently, as about a, of a month ago or so. It technically came out in 2019, but it was late last year and... Seen as I only watched it this year, I think it counts. Uh, so it's a movie called Peanut Butter Falcon. So this movie, uh, it's it's jolly. It's such good vibes. It it really it made me feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. So now I will preface this. It does star Shia LaBeouf, which I was planning on talking up how good of an actor he is and that he's undervalued after watching this movie. Uh, turns out he's a bit of a bad person, so I won't go too much into him. Uh, but I will say in this movie, he does play a guy who's in a bit of trouble and he's a bit of a dick to women, so I don't know where he gets that from, but obviously he's pulling from his personal life there. Uh, so this movie, it's about a, a young man with Down syndrome who runs away from, like escapes from a nursing home to pursue his dream of becoming a professional wrestler, which I relate to very much. That's been my dream my entire life, to be a professional wrestler. Uh, He watches these very old 80s VHS tapes of this wrestler and uh, admires him. And, you know, this wrestler talks about having a training camp in Florida or whatever, and so he wants to go there to become a wrestler. So he escapes and bumps into this guy who's, like running away from trouble, which is Shia LaBeouf. And they form a friendship and basically travel across the country uh, to find this wrestling camp and to train and become a thing. But it's a story about friendship. It's a story about overcoming prejudices. It's it's a really, really feel-good movie and very surprising. Like, I hadn't heard much about it. I'd heard the name, obviously, because it's a unique name for a movie, but... Hadn't really looked into it or heard about the reception that it got. It's very highly rated by critics and everything. And we sat down to watch it on my wife and I on our anniversary because we were like, what's a movie? And I looked up like, you know, a good rom-com or comedy movie like in 2020. And that was one of the highly recommended ones. And we watched it and we adored it so much. Like we really wanted to watch, we want to watch it a second time. We enjoyed it that much. And I highly recommend it to anyone. It's it's a very good film, and I don't know. Like I'm I'm a big professional wrestling fan, even now in 2020. So seeing a lot of old school wrestlers make cameos as 
different named characters and everything. That was really cool. And, yeah, done. the whole cast was great. Dakota Johnson's in it as well. I'd never seen her or anything, so she's in the Fifty Shades movies. Um, she, I thought she did well. Uh, her and I liked her and uh, Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf's, uh like chemistry together. I thought they were great, like their back and forth and everything. So highly recommended. I recommended it to Griner, exactly. Actually, so Dakota Johnson's top. Big fan of the Fifty Shades movies. Are you? <laughs> no, she's like Kristen Stewart. So she started off in this horrible genre. Yeah. But you see her in anything else, she's actually fantastic. Yeah, right. No, Luke uh, Luke did recommend this. Well, actually, I saw it on his Facebook as a recommendation, and I was looking for something to watch with my very conservative mother, and um, this movie was perfect. Like, it's so wholesome. Um, they even get baptised in this movie, and they don't play it out like, oh, this is some stupid Christian dude or anything like that. Like, they, he's he had, makes some good points, and he's respected, and they baptise the baptize him and it's just i don't know it's just it is a very very wholesome movie very very fun um yeah i it's not like i did, i don't know any wrestlers i couldn't tell you if there was wrestlers in that movie this is the this is luke mentioning that there's wrestlers making cameos and it is news to me i enjoyed uh lyle from george of the jungle as the wrestler dude like he's a thomas hayden church he's cool but um yeah i think it's it's a well-acted movie um it's it is one of those Wholesome movies where there's it doesn't really feel like there's ever much of a conflict. So another movie that I would personally put in this is is the movie Chef. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's a Jean Favreau movie. I really enjoy it, but there's never like a real conflict there. Like things just happen. It's feel good. I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie too. But um, it just things happen. It's feel good. I, it's not something I'll probably ever go back and watch again. But I, I had a really good time with it when I watched it. It is. It's very. It's pretty funny. And yeah, it's very just very very wholesome is how I would describe it. It's got a really impressive cast. Just looking at it, like Bruce Dern, Thomas Hayden Church, John Bernthal, John Hawks. Yeah, like, I had no idea. Yeah, John Bernthal and his earlobes turn up towards the end of the movie. It's cool. <laughs> Don't talk smack about John Bernthal. <laughs> right, my question is: Do you guys still feel good about this film, knowing what we know now about LaBeouf? Not as much. <laughs> <laughs> Not as feel good now. I'm it was, guessing it was definitely a lot harder that, to come in here and say, "Oh, Shia LaBeouf was so good in this movie." <laughs> oh, you know, I was really like, he's underrated as a person and an actor. I scratched that line from my whole <laughs> script oh, for this movie. Um, no, he's overrated as a person. He's a horrible person. Terrible person. But he's honest about it. Hopefully, he gets some help. He obviously needs it. Uh, but he, he, this character really suited him well. I thought he did play this character very well. I don't know how far this character is from his, he's his not a good personality. Which... Like, he's not a good person in the movie. That no. character is not, so. Yeah, and he has his, and that's thing, he's going through his own shit and has his yeah. own demons and everything like that, which I'm sure he is in real life as well. But, yeah, very highly recommended movie. Um, there, there, There is a point near the end where I was like, man, this movie is taking a turn, and I wasn't expecting it, but they <laughs> swing back around. I don't want to spoil it. But I was like, I wasn't ready for it. Um, and, yeah, there are a lot of cameos. Basically, most of the people in the wrestling scene near the end the backyard wrestling, are yeah, okay. legendary wrestlers. So le- either legendary wrestlers or very washed-up actors, uh, wrestlers who haven't wrestled in a long time, and this is their one shot at starting again. <laughs> Bringing see. it back. Charlotte Booth really has just been playing himself for the past. Highly recommend it, Cody. Yeah. Um, exactly, um, yeah. I feel like he has. Yeah, I'm not a fan of... Like, I didn't see American Honey. I wasn't interested. And Honey Boy doesn't interest me, so I don't know if I like any of his performances. But I'll put it on my list. Um, you shout out to Zach Gottsagen, too. Like, he's a he's an actor with Down Syndrome. But, he's yeah, he's he's really good in this movie. He's really just, like, very heart heartwarming and heartbreaking he... at the same time. Like, the, the idea that these people have to live in... Um, in nursing homes with old, like people who are at the end of their life, even though they're young, just because there's no one to care for them. Like I'd heard about that before. And this movie really shows it and shows some of the issues they obviously face with that. And um, yeah, that's, that's really heartbreaking to me that that, that has to happen for people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I love his whole um, interaction with the other residents of the nursing home, Yeah, especially like his roommate. I really enjoy their whole interaction <laughs> and there's fun scenes with them. Uh, and yeah, no, he, he, um, I forget the actor's name you just said, uh, Zach, Zach, Zach Gottsagen. 
Scott Sagan. Uh, I thought he was great in this movie. He like acted great. Um, he his character's awesome in this, and yeah, very wholesome and everything. All right, guys. So that's that's our recommendations. Do you guys have anything that you watched this year that you didn't enjoy? You want to point out? I I do. I have one. Luke, do you? Or... Uh, you go first. Nah. All right. So let me paint the picture again. It's the same period of time when I'd just seen The Invisible Man. I was riding high on this idea of great Australian filmmakers. I was thinking, what could go wrong in this year 2020? So then I sit down and I watch a film on stand called The True History of the Kelly Gang. And I am disappointed in all the bad ways. Um, have you guys seen this? No. No. So it's funny, Luke, that you mentioned uh, Assassin's Creed because that was all... Assassin's Creed was directed by the same same director, Jason Kurzel, or Joe Justin Kurzel, who has potential to be a really great director. He made Snowtown as his sort of first thing, and that is a great film. Uh, horrible to watch, but really, really, really good film. But he sort of made he made something else that I'm blanking on now, but then he made Assassin's Creed, which obviously a big flop. And he made this, and it is just the So despite what the tales the title says, it's not the true story or the true history of the Kelly Gang at all. It's completely fictionalized. It's based off a book. But it's this weird sort of, essentially, imagine if you took acid and then started to read actual history on the Kelly gang and then sort of paint that picture for some weird friends. That's what comes out. It's this bizarre, impressionistic, weird thing where lots of bizarre stuff happens and there's weird scenes of characters like flailing around and yelling and swearing and nothing really happens. And it doesn't tell any real story about the Kelly gang. It's just kind of like, here's this weird kid growing up. And then, oh, he's Ned Kelly now. And yeah, I was just really disappointed. It got a lot of critical acclaim. And I, I think that's just because Australians like to praise Australian things. But I was very disappointed with this film. And it was one that I was looking forward to because I keep waiting for Justin Kurzel to make another great film after Snowtown. And he just keeps not. <laughs> Can't say I've seen it. Did you see it at all, Luke? No, no. So don't I bother. I haven't seen that either. But I, that, I won't. So when you started saying Australian films on Stan, I thought, oh, Conan's going to say the my most disliked movie of the year, which Ooh. was a horror movie called Relic. I don't know if oh, either of you guys saw this. No, so it, it got a things. yeah, it got a bit of critical acclaim too, and it wasn't it wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen or anything. Like I'm not going to stand here and say I completely hated it or anything, but I didn't particularly enjoy it. It's a movie. It's a horror Australian horror movie. It does. Like, it does a pretty good job of building tension and having this sort of strange monster that you're not sure where it's coming from or how it's getting in this house or where it is in the house, but you just know it's there. Um, but essentially, without spoiling too much, the whole movie is a is a metaphor or an allegory about dementia, which I think is a really cool thing, but it wasn't clear enough from the movie to understand that. Like, the ending is super, super strange, and I had to sort of look it up afterwards, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's because she's coming to accept the fact that her mother has dementia and all this stuff. And it's just like, no, you just wanted to have a weird monster movie. <laughs> I don't know. It just fell, fell pretty flat um, in justifying that message within the film itself. So if you look up the stuff and read about what the director said about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But the movie just had a really uh, – the ending is probably definitely what spoiled it. Like, if it had a better ending, I think it would have been a fine movie. It would have been okay. But I think the ending kind of spoils it kind of ruins it and um oh wow they try to have this deep meaning behind the ending but i don't feel like the movie itself justifies that yeah um i know it's got, no i haven't heard of it's it got either. people in yeah. it like it's yeah well i'm i'm just sorry i'm just looking her up now what's her face um emily mortimer she's tough mm. yeah she's it's reminding me of, you guys saw the the babadook yeah no oh, yes wow. so i I, I did yeah i haven't seen relic either i was curious to because it got I read some good reviews. Um, but Babadook's kind of that horror film that, again, has a... From what you're saying about it, has this sort of idea of, oh, it's a, it's grief or it's this personification of this other thing mm. sort of manifest. That's similar to Babadook from what it sounds like. But just thinking it over in my mind, the Babadook never sort of hits you over the head with it. It never kind of says, oh, look, this is clearly an allegory. It's just a really good horror film and a really good monster film. But you can apply that meaning to it. And so, hmm. I don't know, it sounds, it's like we're talking about um, the platform where I kind of get deterred from films that are just really clearly like, hey, this is a film about this. Make sure you, le make sure you learn this from it 
because it almost kind of defies art in a way where it's like it should be open to interpretation it should be it should give people the opportunity to take their own meaning from it so if you kind of come at it with a very clear message sometimes it can detract yeah and like this movie was clearly about dementia like dementia does play a part in the movie I just, yeah, the ending, I don't know, to me, the ending was super strange. It wasn't clear what exactly was happening, and I had to sort of look it up afterwards. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I can understand that, but I feel like the movie didn't earn that itself. Yeah, it's never a good sign. Babadook, duk, duk. Um, so... Thanks for your contribution, Luke. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, I don't feel like I watched many movies this year, obviously, so to say like what the worst movie that I watched this year, it's sort of hard because I sort of only reserved that for movies that I knew I would like or were getting high praise and everything. The only one, and this might be a hot take, is we. my wife and I watched this movie thinking it was going to be very good because critics hyped it up, but we were so bored that we could only get halfway through it, and that was Little Women, which came oh, out wow. late last year. But. We just could not enjoy it. We wanted to, and we thought we would, and we got it maybe an hour 30 into that movie, and we stopped. We were just like, ah, oh. I don't know. There was just nothing there pulling us to keep watching it, and it was a slog to get through, I found. It was just dull and boring. So that's my Oscar-winning pick for <laughs> the worst movie I watched this year. You're so that's my contribution. Yeah, it's weird because I love Greta. Like, well, I don't love Greta Gerwig. I love Lady Bird, and I love Saoirse. I love Lady Bird. I love Lady Saoirse Ronan is like a movie star of our generation. But um, so like everything from that film that I saw seemed like it was a recipe for good. But yeah, I just wasn't. I've, I have no investment with the story. I didn't read the book. I didn't see the old. I think nineties film. So I so said, did no you watch real. it? No, I had no. I had no. Nothing really investing in it except that I was like, oh, it's Greta Gerwig with Saoirse Ronan again. That could be cool to see. But I never, never got around to it. Don't. <laughs> critic reviews high. Yeah, yeah, but mine, the critic reviews were kind of low for Sonic, so. Yeah, I don't know who to trust. Grana, have you? Did you see it? Watch Sonic, no, not I Little haven't, Women. I haven't seen Little Women, but I generally disagree with Luke's opinions anyway. So maybe I should. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, watch Sonic, not Little Women. That's my quote. Watch for the Sonic night. and the Hobbit, not Little you're Women. On, you're on the wrong side of history, Luke. <laughs> Got to go fast. All right, uh, before we wrap things up, have you guys got any honourable mentions for the year, movies that maybe you watched this year that didn't come out this year or anything like that you want to add to this podcast? Boy, do I. <laughs> All right, I have two real quick. Uh, one is a 2019 film, but just want to mention is Weathering With You, um, the Makoto Shinkai film. So Makoto Shinkai made your name, sort of became, became well-known oh, wow. as like the next Heo Miyazaki. Um, I knew him since he's, he made a film called Five centimeters per second. I think it was back in 2007. Yep. And really, really good film. Um, so as soon as I saw that, I was like, this guy's going to be big. And he made a few other films. The ones in the interim aren't as good, but five centimeters per second, your name, phenomenal. Weathering with you isn't as good um, as either of those either, but still just a really cool film. It's really great to see like somebody else taking on that anime mantle in the mainstream mm. and doing, doing films with it. I just he no one does sort of anime animation better like there's some scenes in there that are just you could just look at for hours and just be like this is this is beautiful i want this on my wall yeah your your name is a phenomenal movie i really love yeah. that movie and um yeah i want to see five centimeters per second but i should i'll have a look at weathering for you as well that's good hmm. my um what was your so, second one yeah so real quick luke have you seen weathering view yeah no no i haven't seen it yet <laughs> i do film. really want to watch your name though i've heard good things about that Great. You can watch Weathering with your, with your kids. It's very family friendly. It's a really good film. Um, my other one is the greatest 2011 film ever, Moneyball. <laughs> now, funnily, funnily, I think we all watched this movie this year for the first time, <laughs> which is so strange. so strange. So, sorry, be clear. I didn't watch this for the first time. I watched it I think, back in 2012 and didn't remember a thing about it. So, I rewatched it this year, and it was a film that I've rewatched twice this year, which is bizarre. But I rewatched it once, and then a few months later, I was like, I just want to watch something nice in the background. And I, this was the thing. I'm like, I could watch Moneyball again. <laughs> and holy, I don't know why. I'm not sure what it is about that film, but there's something almost hypnotic about it. It is really, really easy to watch. I think it definitely just, moves. Yeah, it does. But it, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it does because it's just kind of conversations and really it sort of... Yeah. It's, it's this weird enigmatic film where I feel like nothing happens, but so much happens. 
and the character the heroes never really get they never really achieve what they're going to achieve mm. it's it's so strange to me i think that's part of its allure i'm just like but at the same time there's just so many scenes and moments that are beautiful to watch and it's like brad pitt is just being brad pitt and i could watch brad pitt all day yeah i um i could watch brad pitt doing trades with other teams on the phone all day but <laughs> those, those scenes are so good if you only hear oh. one side of the conversation you probably don't i don't really even understand it all but it's entertaining just to watch him getting one over on him basically yeah straight up i really enjoyed those scenes and i think jonah hill was great in that as well and this that movie is just satisfying to watch yeah i watched it for the first time this year as well and it was very enjoyable and surprising because it had sort of flown under my radar over the years but it was really good to sit down and watch that and enjoy it interesting the, the film that chris pratt got fit for he didn't get fit for um it wasn't for guardians of the galaxy it was for moneyball that's right chris pratt yeah and, and parks and rec suffered for it but anyway <laughs> That's another conversation. <laughs> what are your guys' is, is, is honourable mentions? So um, I'll just give a quick uh, art house um, throw out to a portrait of a lady on fire. So very critically well-received movie. Uh, my wife and I sat down and watched it a few months ago uh, and really enjoyed it. It's a really powerful movie. I think the acting is... Uh, tremendous in it the chemistry between the two main characters in that is like outstanding and I don't want to spoil too much of of the movie I think most a lot of people know what it's about and everything but there are a lot of powerful scenes in that and especially near the end and you really believe that relationship and not much of a foreign film fan I don't like reading subtitles but uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, I I really did enjoy this film and I do highly recommend it. Yeah, I heard great things about it. I um was like, you know, on the top lists of most critics for I think it was a twenty nineteen film, but yeah, everyone yeah. that year was like in the top fives at least. So this one, yeah. Again, I haven't got around to it yet. Um but I feel like I should, definitely. Yep. Uh would you guys permit me to do a TV mini series? <laughs> for shizzle. <laughs> Uh, Queen's Gambit. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm a big chess fan from high school days when I used to play in the chess club, and used, I used to have some books on chess. I wasn't never quite as into oh, it wow. as her, but um, yeah, it's just just really enjoyable. Really enjoyable seeing actual chess moves played out, even though they don't focus on it a whole lot. You can still see these these things happening, and it's like, oh, I know what's going on there. Catching it here and there, and it's just really enjoyable. Uh, I mean, it's not the most amazing, amazing thing I've ever seen, but I binge watched it over a weekend, I think, and I really enjoyed it. So this is um, on my next to watch list. My wife watched this, binged watched this last week, and yeah. hasn't stopped talking about it. <laughs> and w- was disappointed to know we weren't doing a TV series tonight because she wanted me to just throw that out and how good it was. So I will be watching it very shortly and I'm looking forward to watching it. I've heard a lot of good things and it did take over social media. Everyone was watching it over that week yeah. or two. So Chess yeah. is back, baby. I'm a big fan of Gambit, as we know from X-Men, so I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> he makes a special appearance in this. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> First credits. Um, yeah, I just me and my wife just finished this a few weeks ago. Um she was really invested. Grant, I had no idea you were that big into chess. Do you play on chess.com? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, I, you haven't start... in, I haven't in years. Well, you're going to start playing tonight because I got into chess back on this app before <laughs> this show came out. I need to say that. And so I was into it. And then it was, again, my hipster blood comes out because everybody was like, chess is cool. Have you guys heard of chess? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was here before you all. But yeah, that, um, that Netflix phenomenon thing blew up. Like just looking at the metrics and how chess.com saw like, this incredible boom in traffic, chess boards started getting sold, like, mm. which is really cool because, like, like you grown up, it's a game that I love. I've played it since I was a kid, and it's just nice to see more people being like, hey, this is actually a thing. It's not just what old nerds play. Um, the show itself, yeah, it was, I was expecting to be absolutely blown away because it got such good reviews. Yeah. So like 8.7 on IMDb. Everybody was just like the next great miniseries of all time, blah, blah, blah. And I was left sort of, it left me lacking i thought it could have been better but anya taylor joy is a joy <laughs> to watch um but a, she carries it so well 
and like I say, it's great to just see the actual sort of chess and stuff go on. Um, I have questions to ask you, but it'll be spoilery, so we won't. Yeah, I th- I just I think it doesn't quite stick the landing in the last couple of episodes. It um yeah. Anyway, that's won't our recommendations. We won't go uh, into spoilers right now, but for Luke, for you. And other people. Give it time. Came out. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today on this special wrap-up episode of The Good, The Bad and The Worst. Uh, our next episode will be The Lord of the Rings, I think, after this one comes out. So watch Lord of the Rings and then then join us for The Good, The Bad and The Worst, where we, we analyse The Lord of the Rings and decide which one of those three terrible movies is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> How can you really criticise Per? I think we're all looking forward to Lord of the Rings, so thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. See you in 2021. Gotta go fast.